All right, let's open up to Hebrews chapter 2 and let me pray and ask God to meet us in his word this morning. Lord, life in you is so full, so meaningful. Just to be able to love Rick and Yvonne and send them in you, what a... It's just thick, Lord, with meaning. Thick with life and love and joy. Thank you for the life you give us. Meaningful, significant life. Because it's all centered around you, Jesus Christ, and your glory. So, Lord, I pray now for your help to preach this passage and that you would help all of us, Lord, to be attentive to your word and to hear what you, Holy Spirit, are saying in these words of your Holy Scripture. So come and do that now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we're turning to Acts, not Acts. Hebrews, chapter 2. And as we always say, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand because we want all of you to have a Bible that you can look on. We are passionately committed to studying the Scriptures in detail here. And so to have a Bible open in front of you is crucial. And Hebrews 2 is on page 1001 in the Bibles we're passing out. Now let me just give you a picture of what we've seen so far. Here's the author's flow of thought, so you can kind of see where where we're going. We'll get the arcs up on, okay, there it is right there. So he starts off in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. He says, since God has spoken to us by his Son, which is earth-shaking, So since God has spoken to us by his Son, verses 1 through 4, and since his Son, Jesus, is infinitely superior to the angels, being fully God, so since God has spoken to us by his Son, 1 through 4, and since the Son is superior to the angels, verses 5 through 14, therefore, here's the big punchline, the point of chapter 1, we must pay all the more close attention, much closer attention, to what we've heard, chapter 2, verse 1. That's the focal point. And so what we've heard is all encapsulated in this book, the Bible. The Old Testament talks about Jesus who would be coming and why we so desperately need a Savior because we see the sin of Israel. We're no better than Israel, right? It's not a racial thing. It's just a human thing. And we see our sin displayed there and why we need a Savior. And then the Old Testament talks about the coming of the Messiah. So that's the Old Testament pointing towards the coming of Jesus. The New Testament explains the coming of Jesus. And so what we must do because of chapter 1, because God has spoken in His Son and because His Son is superior to the angels, we must pay much closer attention to the Word of God. We must cling to the Scriptures. That's what we need to do. And I've been hearing reports from many of you about how you're taking concrete steps in your life to make the word more central. In fact, Jan was reminding me about uh, something that she did years ago with Catherine Fetter. Some of you remember the Fetters. David's with Google over in Europe now. Um, But they were here, gosh, I don't know how many years ago. But Jan and Catherine both realized that they needed to make the word more central in their lives. And they both made a prayer commitment together For Jan, it was that she would not read the paper until she opened up and clung to God's word. This is big for her, okay? And for Catherine, it was that she would not turn on the computer until she had opened up God's word and clung to Jesus in the scriptures. And some of you are making steps like that, and I'm hearing good good reports. So that's the, the main point that the author's arguing for through chapter one, but he's not done with that point yet because he knows there are two devious lies that Satan uses to keep us from 
clinging to the word of God. And so before the author moves on, he wants to destroy those two lies. Let me share with you what they are, and then we'll take them one one at a time. The first devious lie is that there's no harm. There's no harm in not clinging to the word of God. That's the first lie he wants to deal with. And then the second lie he wants to deal with is the lie that there's no certain truth in this word about Jesus. So the first lie, there's no harm in not clinging to this word about Jesus. Second lie, there's no certain truth in clinging to this word about Jesus. And the author of Hebrews in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, destroys both of those lies. So let's take them one at a time. I'll show you how he destroys them, and then maybe we'll have some time for, for some questions. So lie number one, let's start there. The lie that there's no harm in neglecting this word about Jesus. In a group this size, I would guess some, some of us are succumbing to that lie. Um, and here's how you could tell. I thought of two ways, or maybe others, but here's two ways that I thought of that would show you that you're succumbing to this lie. If, you, if you've ever said anything, or if you are saying something like, I've already read the Bible, I know what the Bible says, I don't need to read it anymore. If, if that kind of a perception or attitude or thought is in your mind, then you've fallen for this lie. Another way you could tell if you've fallen for this lie is if you say something like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine spiritually. Um, I'm not going to go like rob a bank or have an affair or anything. I'm doing fine spiritually. I don't, I don't need to, you know, I'm, I'm okay. That kind of talk, either thinking I've already read it or thinking I'm doing fine spiritually and therefore I don't need to cling to this word, that would show you're succumbing to the lie. Look what the author of Hebrews says. Start with verse 1. Therefore, this is the punchline from all of chapter 1, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So there's the harm. Lest we drift away. That's the harm. I used the illustration a few weeks ago. I want to use it again. All of us, it's just, it's, our lives are like we are in the river above the Niagara Falls. Okay? There it is. Hear that thunder? And you're in the river above it, and you're feeling the surging power of this current moving you relentlessly towards the edge of the falls where you will, unless something changes, plunge to your destruction. So there you are, feel it. You're in the river, you're feeling it, you're just, you're going. There's nothing you can do. This powerful surge of water is moving you down. That's exactly what position we find ourselves in as human beings. We, because of our sin, because of the sin in us, our rebellion against God, we are being carried towards God's judgment, carried towards the edge of the falls, where we will face God's judgment, and it will be certain destruction forever. So it's the sin in our hearts that's carrying us, it's the, the pull of the world, which is also encouraging us to stay away from God, it's Satan's own power, so we have this surging, relentless current moving us towards judgment. But, God loves us. And so what did he do? He threw us the rope of his word. Okay, The truth of Jesus Christ's coming life, death, and resurrection. He threw us the rope of the word. And and when you see it and you grip onto it, your your flow stops. And you're feeling the current against you. But it's like, I'm not going towards the falls anymore. And you hold on to the word of God, the truth of Jesus Christ. And then you start being pulled pulls away from the falls and you're clinging and you're being pulled. So do you see how that works now? 
There you are, you're clinging on to the word, and the current's going against you. Now, what would happen, okay, you were going back, but now you're, you're holding on. What would happen if you stopped clinging to the word? Would you stay where you are in the river? Right? You're moving back. So the point is, either you are clinging to Jesus Christ in the word, or you're drifting. You're either clinging, or you're drifting. Is the only options we face. But now, at this point, Satan sidles up to you. And he says, in his uh, deceptive way, he says, you know, it's awesome that God has thrown you that rope. It's awesome that he's given you salvation. And it's amazing how that rope has pulled you out of the river. And that you're on the bank now. And so, oh, you can let go of the rope. You're on the bank. Why don't you lay out your beach towel? Put on some suntan lotion. Enjoy the rays. Just chill until heaven. You're saved. You're not in the river. Why are you holding on to the rope? You're on the beach. You can let go of the rope. Just kick back. Okay, that's what Satan sidles up and says. There's no harm in not clinging to the rope anymore. You're safe on the beach. Anybody ever heard anything remotely like that? It's a lie. You're not safe on the beach. Until heaven, our sin, our sin was conquered when we were saved, but not removed. And the remaining indwelling sin in our heart, plus the pull of the world and Satan's power, is still there. We are still here. We must keep clinging. This side of heaven, we must keep clinging. The beach is coming when Jesus returns or we die to go to be with him. The beach is coming. But in the meantime, and we'll still be clinging there too. Never mind, every analogy breaks down in some ways. Okay, don't go too far with that. But so the point is you are either clinging or you're drifting. If you're not clinging to the word of God, Jesus Christ is revealed in the scriptures, then you are drifting. Now, why is drifting so serious? Look at verses 2 through 3a, the beginning of verse 3. He says, For since the message declared by angels, that's a reference to the Old Testament, proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now underline that word neglect. See, the danger the author is talking about, what what his readers are struggling with, is not that they may turn from salvation, like become Buddhist or become atheist or something like that. That's that's not the problem. It's not that they would turn from salvation. It's that they would neglect salvation. Big, big difference. Now, it would be a problem to turn from Christ and become a Buddhist or an atheist. That would be a problem. That's not the problem they were dealing with, though, at least not in this verse. It's not outright apostasy, It's more subtle apathy. It's not that they're going to deny the word of God. They're just going to neglect the word of God. Oh, what's the word of God? It's up there on my shelf. Pretty, isn't it? Okay. They're not going to deny the word of God. They're just going to neglect the word of God. And what will happen if they, what will happen if we neglect the word of God? Read verses 2 and 3 again. For since the message declared by angels, that's the Old Testament, proved to be reliable, 
And since in the Old Testament, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape, New Testament people, if we neglect such a great salvation? Here's what he's saying. First of all, understand, both of the Old Testaments and the New Testaments contain God's perfectly true words. Old Testament, the words of God. Truth, perfect truth. New Testament, the words of God. Truth, perfect truth. They're the same on that point. But there's a difference. The difference he points out here when he talks about delivered by declared by angels is that the New Testament is greater, not more true, but greater because the New Testament involved God coming to earth in the person of Jesus himself, speaking the word directly to us. Jesus was fully God, fully God, fully man, second person of the Trinity, speaking the truth to us. Uh, Old Testament delivered through angels to prophets, so it's not directly from God himself. Both true, okay, but different on that, on that point. So here's the argument he's making. If the Old Testament which did not involve God coming to earth himself in the person of Jesus to bring his truth, if that Old Testament brought punishment to those who neglected it, how much more will we face punishment if we neglect the word which God came himself and brought to us? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Do you feel the weightiness of that? If the Old Testament, perfect truth from God, but it wasn't God coming himself in the person of Jesus, physical, tangible, you can touch him, and he's here talking to you, The Old Testament was delivered through angels. If the Old Testament brought punishment to those who neglected it, how much more are we going to be facing God's judgment if we neglect the word which is brought to us through God on the earth, the God-man, Jesus Christ himself? Now, here's an illustration. I just try to bring it into the Niagara River illustration. Think about the Niagara River. And in the Old Testament, God looked down and he saw people sweeping down through the river heading towards judgment because of their sin, okay? And God had angels on the shoreline throwing ropes in, okay? All right? And so David, David latched onto it. And, oh, and David's being pulled to salvation, okay? And, and Ruth grabs onto it and is being pulled to salvation. And Saul grabbed onto it and then neglected it over the falls. That's the picture of the Old Testament. Okay? Ahab lets go of it over the falls. So the author says, remember the Old Testament? Sodom and Gomorrah? Jezebel, okay? How much more for us? Here's the river, and God sends Jesus, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. The radiance of the glory of God come to earth, and Jesus Christ throws you the rope, and you lay hold of it. How much more will we be deserving of judgment if we Stop clinging. That's what the author wants us to get here. So let this sink in. Oh, church, Mercy Hill Church, let this sink in. I'm not kidding when I talk about Satan having lies. He is the father of lies. He deceives the whole world, Revelation 13 says. Some of you may be deceived on this point. You may think you're, you're on the beach. You may think you're you're holding. Are you? Okay, so let this sink in. You are either clinging to the word of God or you're drifting towards judgment. Those are the only options we have here. 
Now, this raises a crucial question. Okay, I want to just dig, dig our theology, our understanding of, of warnings a little bit deeper so we can think through how this does and does not work. Does this mean that you could be genuinely saved at one point in time and end up going over the falls? No. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. But please listen carefully to why. To why this is huge if you, get, if you misunderstand why. It's not because saved people can neglect God's word and still be saved. That's not why. Okay? It's not why. Notice the author includes himself in this warning. The author himself. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? He's including himself in there, and the answer is we won't. The author won't, I won't, you won't. None of us will escape if we stop clinging to God's word. So it's not because saved people can neglect God's word and still be saved. They can't. So why then would I say that saved people can't be genuinely saved at one point and end up going over the falls? It's because when God saves you, he does, he does amazing things when he, in, in changing us. But one of the things that he does when he saves us, every single person who gets saved receives a new heart. And one aspect of that new heart is that we pay heed to warnings like this. Every saved person, when you hear this warning, when you hear this warning, you tremble. And you say, oh, <laughs> I'm clinging I am clinging, yes. And that's how you know you've been saved because every saved person has a heart that responds to the warnings. And so you will respond to the warnings. You're feeling it in your heart right now, okay? And if, you, if you're not, feel it. Are you kidding me? You're not feeling that? I mean, you are in a river, massive current rushing. Can you hear it? Judgment is there. It's inevitable unless something huge changes. And there's the rope. Cling on. And don't let cling on and say, oh, I got saved. Awesome. Woo. <laughs> Air mattress. No, 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 no. Got to keep clinging. You feel the warning. Keep clinging. Keep clinging. Start the day off saying, oh, I, I want to I be clinging to Jesus in the word, casting all my cares upon you, giving you my burdens, fighting against temptation. When you're, when you're finding yourself worried, open up the scriptures and pray over the scriptures until you see afresh who God is and the peace of God comes upon you. When you find yourself lukewarm, fight off lukewarmness by opening up the scriptures and praying over the scriptures until the Holy Spirit changes your heart. We're clinging, we're clinging, we're clinging, we're clinging, we're clingons, Okay? <laughs> All right? That's what we are. So destroy the lie that there is no harm if you're not clinging. Are you clinging? As you look back over your life this past week, has it been marked by clinging to Jesus as revealed in the scriptures? Are you reading God's word? Are you meeting him in the truth of God's word? Are you praying over the scriptures? Oh, and just one other thing. Now, this is not in the passage, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit wanted me to say it, and that is, how often is it in your life when you feel like, I've got to cling, but I'm, just, I'm so weak? I don't know if I have energy to cling. I'm not sure I can cling. Now, here's the beautiful news of the gospel. 
the word of God is living and it's active. And you put your feeble little hands on that rope, okay? And, and the moment, it's like, you're, I, I'm not able to hold on. That current just too strong, okay? And we felt that way? That current's just too strong. I'm feeling, it's like, I'm not sure I want to cling. God says, just, just put your hands on it because it's living. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm strong. And the strength comes from the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And your hands, which are kind of like this all ahead of time, all of a sudden like, yes, you're like ripped, okay? And you're holding it through the power of the word. Okay, so never, never think I can't cling on enough. I'm not even going to bother trying. The clinging comes from clinging. The power to cling comes from weak clingers clinging. That's a lot, way too many cling clings there. But anyway, you got my drift. Did you get that? Oh, this is, listen, most of the time when I come to the word, I am pathetic spiritually. I'm worried. I'm bitter. I'm jealous. I'm nothing like flatlined spiritually. My heart's like, you know, just nothing. And you open the word and you pray over the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit, he loves his word, which he inspired. And he comes and he strengthens and he fills and he refreshes and he strengthens your faith. And anyway, so don't ever let the weakness of your clinging keep you from clinging because when you cling to the word it will enable your clinging i really like that isn't that a great picture that's awesome just love jesus okay now let's keep going here that's the first lie i want to talk about there's no harm in in neglecting this word and hebrews says there's great harm either clinging or you're drifting towards the falls so cling second lie that there's no certain truth in this word about Jesus. Anybody ever thought, yeah, I, I'm just not sure. I mean, I read Da Vinci Code, and um, and I've read The God Delusion, you know, or heard about it. I didn't read either of them, but you've heard about it. And, I mean, can we really know? And think about how that would affect you in terms of the battle to cling. I mean, what if what if you're in the river and you're holding onto this rope? What if this is a fraying rope? What if it's just going to snap and, ah, okay, or, or what if by holding on to this rope, which is going to break, you're going to miss a stronger rope over here, okay? Or what if there is no rope? What if there's no river? What if we're just here and we're all kind of evolving to become better and better people? And as we rely on technology and as we rely on science, you know, we're just, we're all going to be, you know, what if there's no river and no rope? There's <laughs> power in that lie. And why not just sleep in or check Facebook or go to the gym, right? Okay, so how does the author of Hebrews deal with that lie? Look at verse 3b, second part of verse 3, through verse 4. Look at what he says. There's three ways that God has confirmed that this word about Jesus is true. There's three ways. Start in verse 3b, halfway through. It was declared at first, here's the first way, by the Lord. And, second way, it was attested by us, attested to us by those who heard. Second way, third way, verse 4, while God also bore witness to the word by signs and wonders 
and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So first it was declared by the Lord. What's the clearest possible way that God could make himself real to humanity? It's by coming himself. Coming himself. And that's exactly what he did. He came to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. The fullness of deity dwells in Christ bodily, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1. So just let this sink in. 2,000 years ago, God walked the earth. That is just astonishing to stop and think about. 2,000 years ago, God walked the earth. And to show us that he was God, he worked miracles. Okay, like Jesus is on the shore and the disciples are on a boat in the Sea of Galilee and there's a raging storm going on out there. And what does Jesus do? He walks to them on the water and he stills the, the, uh, the storm. You have you thinking, do you really believe that Jesus walked on the water? I mean, come on. Listen. If the one who created water out of nothing and created the globe out of nothing and created this massive universe out of nothing, could he <laughs> walk on water? Nothing. I mean, do so you think like the Giants just beat the Reds? Okay, that's cool. So you think like they're not going to be able to beat your little league team? It's not a problem. You understand that? This is not a problem. Why would I believe that Jesus could walk on water? Because <laughs> he's God. Well, what about this laws of science? He created the laws of science. He's not worried about the laws of science, okay? And so here's this demonstration of his deity in the fact that the one who created the water, he can walk in the water. Jesus came upon a man uh, in, a, in a graveyard who was terribly oppressed by an army, a legion of demons. This man was screaming, naked, cutting himself, just tormented by an army of demonic powers. And Jesus commanded them to go! And they all fled, and the man was transformed, completely changed, freed. The power of God. Another story, 5,000 people were hungry. Remember, Jesus had been teaching them all day long. They're out in the wilderness. No grocery stores, you know, no place to get food. The little boy had five loaves and two fish. And Jesus multiplied the five loaves and two fish to feed all 5,000 people. So you've got walking on the water. You've got command power over the demons. You've got multiplying food. And then all through Jesus' life, he said he was going to be crucified on the cross in order to pay for our sins so we could be forgiven. He's going to be punished in our place for our sins, crucified. And then he's going to rise from the dead. He said that all through his life. And then he was crucified, as he said, and he rose from the dead. It all happened just as he said. So step one, first step, why we can believe that this word about Jesus is true is because God came and spoke it. God himself was here. God was on the earth talking to us. doesn't get any more direct than that. Step two, end of verse three. It was attested to us by those who heard. Now here's the question. How do we know anything happened in history in the past? How do you, how do you know something happened yesterday or you know, the day before? It's eyewitnesses, right? Eyewitnesses. Eyewitness accounts. 
How do you know something happened 100 years ago? Eyewitnesses who have written their accounts. Okay, credible eyewitnesses. That's how historians know what's happened in the past. That's what the author of Hebrews is talking about here. Eyewitness testimony. Step two was eyewitness testimony to the fact that God spoke to us in the person of Jesus. So the apostles heard God speaking in Jesus with their own ears. They, they heard with their own ears. They saw God in Christ with their own eyes. Okay? They saw him walking on the water. They saw that demonized man transformed and freed. They saw five loaves and two fish multiplied to feed five thousands. The apostles saw, they saw this. They saw Jesus crucified with their own eyes, the Son of God nailed to a cross. They saw him. They saw him die. They saw the empty tomb. They saw and they touched his resurrected body. They saw. They saw. We've got eyewitnesses. Matthew, tax collector, saw. Mark, recording what Peter saw. Luke, having interviewed eyewitnesses, saw. John, fisherman, saw. Okay. Paul mentions 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Eyewitness, eyewitness, eyewitness. So Jesus' life, teaching, miracles, death, resurrection, ascension, eyewitness verified history. It's history. All the evidence points to it. There's no credible evidence against it. Do you understand that? There's, there's no reason not to believe it. It's the second step. God doesn't stop there. He wants to give us just one more, like, coup de grace to destroy unbelief in our hearts. Step three is in verse four. Look what he says. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. God worked through these apostles with his, God's, supernatural power to confirm that what they were saying was the truth. Okay, so first God came in the person of Jesus, then God confirmed that with eyewitnesses who attested to the coming of Jesus, and then God confirmed that eyewitness testimony by working miracles through them. So for example, I mean there's dozens we could pick, but so uh, Peter and John are on their way to the temple. You know the story in Acts chapter 3? Remember, and they see a, a lame man who's been lame from birth, who is so lame that he has to be carried from one donation point to another, okay? So somebody carried him here, sat him down, and he's asking for money. Remember what Peter says to him? He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And at that point, God the Father wants to confirm that Peter's eyewitness testimony about Jesus is true, and he wants to confirm that Jesus is the Christ, and so God works through Peter's words, and the layman went from being having to be carried around from place to place to what? What did he? He's walking and leaping and praising God, right? Whoa! Peter! What Peter is saying is direct truth eyewitness from God himself. So the apostles... All through the book of Acts, they're healing people. They're raising people from the dead. They're casting out demons. They're working miracles. God is confirming the apostolic witness to Jesus Christ by power, supernatural power. 
So Satan's lies, there's no certain word, there's no certain truth in this word about Jesus. And the author of Hebrews says, that is a lie. Number one, God came and talked to us. Can't get more direct than that. Number two, there's eyewitness testimony confirming that God came and talked to us. Number three, God has testified to the truth of the eyewitness testimony by working signs and miracles through the apostles. We have every reason. This is true. Never think that faith is kind of closing your eyes to thinking and closing your eyes to evidence and closing your eyes to reason and just like taking the the plunge. It's not. You have evidence to burn. you got evidence all over the place. Massive evidence. Why is it so hard? Sin. 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 I'm, I'm, I don't want it to be true. I'd rather call the shots in my own life. I'd rather be in control. Right? And so our mind, excuse me, our hearts can make our minds blind to things. We've all experienced that, haven't we? Oh, man. That's why it's so hard. It's not because there's like a problem with evidence. We have all... I mean, how many eyewitnesses do you need to the resurrection? There's been 500 of them. Imagine a courtroom. I testify, I saw Jesus with my own eyes. Number two, I testify, I saw Jesus with my own eyes. Number three, I saw 28, 30, 400. Okay, how many eyewitnesses do we need? We have plenty. So Satan's lies that there's no certain truth in this word. Hebrews says, God has made it crystal clear with evidence. We have every reason to believe. So don't fall for that lie. Okay, now, all right, two lies we've talked about. One lie, there's no harm in neglecting this word. And then the second lie, that there's no certain truth in this word. What questions? What, like, maybe overstated something? Maybe I said something that wasn't very clear? I might have just said something wrong. I hope not, but anyway. am Am I talking in sync with the scriptures? This, do, you, do you see from the scriptures that this is what Hebrews is saying? That he's the most important one here. That this is what he's saying? What, what questions about this? I don't think somebody can lose their salvation. Now, what that, how, we, how we take that truth, though, is it depends on the person. Okay? Um, the Bible says there's people who think they're saved who aren't. Okay, so some people fall into that trap. We need to help them think through because the Bible gives us ways we can tell if we've been saved. And one of the ways we can tell is that we pay heed to the warnings. Okay, so if I was talking to somebody who says, you know, I've, I went forward 10 years ago and I've been saved and I don't need to worry about those warnings because I've been saved, I would try to humbly, uh, strongly help them see that, that they're deceived. That if they were saved 10 years ago, then they'd be trembling at the warnings now. Yes, so were, were, were you genuinely saved then? And I would say, I, I, uh, I don't know, and because I don't, uh, God knows, you either were or you weren't. All I know is, you are now. And, and that's really all that's important. I wouldn't spend any time trying to figure out, well, you know, back 20 years ago, was I... I would, I would, if somebody said, you know, are you saying I'm not saved? I would just say, the past is the past. Are you trusting Jesus Christ now? Are you, are you turning from whatever else you're, you've been trusting for your heart satisfaction? And are you turning and trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior? 
as your Lord, as your heart-satisfying treasure. If you are, you're saved. If you're not, what are you doing? I would want to hear some scriptures. I, again, I don't know whether they are or not, but, but our talking with each other, our talking with people who are struggling like that, God will use that to either bring them back to salvation, if they already were, or bring them to salvation the first time if they weren't. And I would just, um, the, the way to know that you're saved is, is by just simply turning to Jesus and trusting him as you are, right? I mean, you'll, you'll never think you're good enough to say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm saved, I've, you know, I've really been good. That's, that's the totally wrong question to ask. There'll be fruit, you know, that'll be demonstrated in your life, but the most clear, powerful way to know you're saved is turn to Jesus right now and trust him. Say, I'm so weak. Well, remember, you're weak. Mm, okay? You come to Jesus as you are, unrighteous, weak, sinful, and the Father's running towards you. Right? So, if you want to ask more about this question, I wouldn't be surprised. You might want to ask more about this question. Uh, talk to your home group leader. Email me. Let's talk more. But I want to wrap it up now just in terms of where we are time-wise. But let me leave you with this. most important thing about this question that I think is, is that if you're doubting whether you're saved, the way to be sure is by turning to Jesus and trusting him right now. Okay? Cling. But I'm so weak. And cling weakly. Okay? Because the word is living and active and powerful. And he will strengthen you. Everything you need will flow through the truth of Jesus Christ, through the cross, by the Spirit. Everything you need to persevere. Everything you need to keep clinging. Everything. We, we bring nothing to the table but our sinfulness. Everything we need comes through Jesus Christ. So just, just turn to him and just cling. And everything you need will be given to you. So let's stand up. I want to pray this over us. Father, I pray for your power to come right now upon us. We're at lots of different you know, places, lots of different questions. We were, we're in different, um, different states of heart. But I want to pray, Lord, for, for those who realize they've been deceived. And I pray that you would meet them as they turn to you with even weak clinging and, 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 and open up the scriptures and just cry out and ask, ask you to meet them. Lord, would you meet them powerfully and give them everything they need, I pray. And Father, I want to pray for anyone here who, who doesn't know you or isn't sure if they do or not. In fact, I would just like to lead you right now in, in, in a prayer that if this is in your heart, just, just pray along with me. And uh, just to confirm, if this is in your heart, then this will just confirm. And that is, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. I turn from what I've been trusting to satisfy me. And I'm turning to you right now. Would you forgive me through the cross? Would you clothe this sinful man, this sinful woman, with your perfect righteousness? I want to submit to your will. Help me. And I want to trust you as my heart-satisfying treasure. I want to turn from whatever else I used to trust to satisfy me and trust you as Savior, Lord, and all-satisfying treasure right now. If that's in your heart, and you'll want to continue to pray that now and this afternoon, but if that's in your heart, you can be sure because we're saved by grace through faith. And that's what faith is. And so you're saved. No matter how weak, 
and, and as you continue to seek the Lord and to press in, He will pour His Holy Spirit upon you so strongly that you will know. You'll feel His love pouring into your heart. You'll see Jesus' glory more clearly. You'll love Him. You'll know Him. So I pray, Lord, for anybody here who's not saved or who is doubting, I pray that you'd meet them in a powerful way right now. And Lord, we're, we're hearing the warnings. We're seeing the, the truth, these, these lies that Satan uses. And help us not to succumb to lies. Help us to be men and women and young people who cling to you, Lord Jesus, as revealed in the word of God. Put this upon us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.